Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm your host, Charles Bradley, and this is the Autosport Podcast. It's the 16th of October 2021, and it's a sad day for motorsport fans everywhere because it's the 10th anniversary of the tragic accident that claimed the life of Dan Weldon, the two-time Indianapolis 500 winner and 2005 IndyCar champion. Joining me today are two more people who were in Las Vegas on that quite dreadful day. They are Motorsport.com's US editor David Marsha and six-time IndyCar champion Scott Dixon, who also won the 2008 Indy 500. Delighted that Scott's been able to join us. Uh, Scott, your first thoughts when you uh, when you met Dan, what kind of impression did he leave on you? Obviously, you you just won the Indy Lights Championship with Pac West, and he took over that drive. Did you did you meet up then, or was it later in IndyCar you got to know him? Uh, no, I think the first time would have been meeting him actually, maybe at Pit Fit training. Um, so maybe it would have been you know ninety nine around that time. Uh, obviously a. Uh, a very chatty, confident Brit, I think. Um, and he was very skinny. I remember him being very, uh, very tiny at that stage before he got into to his training stuff. But uh, yeah, he was um, probably not someone, and I think even for, for the first few years, not somebody that I really gelled a lot with. You know, I think he, he talked a lot about what he was going to do. Um, and we all know, you know, who Dan was as a personality, especially later on. Uh, but it was what I think in, in the end, what everybody loved about him. But um, yeah, we, I think we, we, we definitely probably, you know, didn't see eye to eye to start with, but uh, that, that changed, that changed really quickly. Yeah, he was that sort of cocky young, I don't know if it was, it was borderline arrogance, wasn't it? He was so self-confident in himself that he would, and he would love an audience as well. So I guess you never got a word in edgeways. 
Yeah, which I was fine with, you know, but, uh, you know, I always, I was always the one that, um, you know, I, I figured, you know, you kind of let the, the results or, or being on track, you know, do the talking. But, um, you know, I think that's actually what helped, you know, Dan progress and get into, you know, uh, where he ended up in, in different teams and, and, you know, how he became so successful, I think was, was a big reason, you know, it was because of his personality, obviously his talent was one thing. Um, and then, and then once you got to know the guy, you, you could tell, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun and, and really cool to be around him as a person just because of the energy that he had. And what was he like as a teammate? Obviously, you spent you know three years together, um, successful times with Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, was he kind of did he did he take that sort of you know self focused stuff into into debriefs, or was he quite open? Was he spiky? What was what was he like to to work with? Yeah, I think again, you know, uh, the period of time for us, especially you know coming off the season of 04 and 05, um, was was quite tricky at, at, uh, at Ganassi. Um, we definitely had some speed issues and, and, you know, I think, uh, the, the crash count was very high. Um, and, you know, we'd probably been through a very high number of drivers and, and teammates at that stage for myself. So it was, it was definitely a very strange time. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was a, a breath of fresh air. Um, you know, had the current champion coming, coming to the team. Um, but you know, I would say definitely in the first season, we 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 didn't really work very well together. Um, I felt like a lot of times we actually tried to maybe hurt the performance of the other car uh, on, on both sides, and it was it was kind of tricky. And I think it kind of came to head actually one day at Indianapolis, where you could see that you know both of us were trying to uh, not help the other, and and that was in practice and and preparation for the race, you know. So. Uh, Chip Ganassi racing has always been a very open, you know, kind of scenario, especially in the engineering room. And, and, um, you know, I think, you know, Dan coming from a different team, um, you know, maybe they weren't as open, but, uh, we, we, you know, things just didn't gel as well at the time, but it actually, it took a drunken night where, uh, we, we started to, to see eye to eye and, and, you know, build a friendship, but also understand, you know, that it was better for us to work together and try and, you know, um, do things to hurt each other on track as far as performance, you know, obviously not physically or anything like that, but, um, you know, and, and for the for the good of the team, you know, I think uh, that, that that changed the ways that, that we things a lot. Um, middle of the season 06 and, and kind of onwards. David, you were around uh, the paddocks at that time. Was that obvious to you what was going on there? I was watching from a distance because obviously I was covering Champ Car at that time, but uh, I did find it a fascinating matchup. Uh, between these two, because yeah, uh, I don't know how true it is, but obviously Scott's been known as the Iceman for a long time, and uh, whereas uh, Dan always seemed to be quite uh, vivacious and uh, excitable, uh, so I did wonder how how they were going to get along. But I mean, one of the questions I I wanted to ask was whether um, you know it was a particularly perilous time to be an IRL driver. There'd be yeah, if you there, it seemed like there were no small accidents. How did you, how did you uh, compare in the kind of like bravery department, or were you always just you were up front so much that you didn't actually have to go wheel to wheel too much? Uh, yeah, you know, I think you're right. Definitely, that era of racing was, you know, I think '06 was kind of when we started '05. We kind of started to see the change, right? It was the introduction of of you know road and street courses. Um, 
you know, it was, it was still very dominated by, by the oval scene. But, um, you know, I think everybody at that period of their life, if they were in IndyCar racing, was, uh, um, you know, pretty brave um, or stupid. I don't know which way you want to put it. But, but you know, you, you, you definitely tested, you know, the, the, you know, the limits of, of what you had available. And, and, you know, I think when you're, you know, of that age and, and, you know, for me, I remember, you know, back at that time and not really, you know, you still didn't have a lot to look back on or, or you know, kind of judge yourself or, or, you know, judge the scenario that we were in at the time. So, you know, it, it was really just focusing on trying to win. And, and you know, yes, we were very fortunate, um, you know, sort of on 06 onwards to, to have a team that was, you know, extremely competitive and, and you know, uh, having Dan, I think for me in that period of time, kind of changed, you know, the, the way that I raced a lot, it, it changed my process a lot. You know, Dan and I's process was very different. He was massively attention to detail. His, you know, I think everybody talks about his debriefing notes and, and, you know, even on oval where there's really only two corners, you know, he'd write pages of what the car was doing. And I'm like, man, it's either got understeer or oversteer, like how complicated can it be to really lay out, you know, the finer details of how the car was scrubbing and, and costing speed, you know, it, it, mile and a half so I struggled with for for a long time but you know then you know teaming up with them you know kind of looking over his shoulder and 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 being the openness openness that we had in the engineering room you know changed a lot so yeah I'd say there was there was bravery and and situations like that which all of us I think had at that stage but um you know the attention to detail uh that that Dan had I think you know changed probably the way that I did a lot of things from from that point on as well could you see that kind of smoothness on the traces and stuff? You seem to be a very sort of finger trip, fingertips driver. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely could. You know, I think um, the detail of, of you know, understanding, you know, the scrub of the car, um, you know, I remember at that period of time you, you were, you know, for qualifying especially, you were, you were kind of hugging the white line and trying to do, you know, track distance and, you know, coming from the team that he had, you know, they had, you know, a lot of cars and a lot of understanding, a lot of, you know, uh, uh, you know, legends of the sport, um, you know, driving for that team, you know, so it was, it was, uh, it was interesting just to see, you know, his, his uh, thoughts on it and touch of it, but obviously he had learned from the best as well. So, you know, for me, it was, it was great to be able to, um, you know, look at, you know, just how we approached, uh, you know, even testing at the Indy 500 to, you know, setting up a race car differently to a qualifying car and, and, you know, it was it was definitely um, you know something that he was extremely good at, and you know his finesse that he did have as a driver. Um, you could see why he was so successful, you know, on on ovals, but you know, just uh, generally throughout his career. How much did he glean from you from you on road and street courses? I realised it was just a kind of like minimal uh, part of the championship by that time. But yeah, I, I think Dario said before that he had already started to see kind of like. Then tail off, especially when it came to street circuits where the cars were jumpy, uh, jumping around. It didn't uh, appeal to him. Was he able to learn anything from you? Uh, we definitely, you know, tried to. I think you're, you know, no matter which day it is or, or what track you're at or, you know, if you feel completely comfortable, you're, you're constantly learning from your teammate. You know, each teammate does something a little bit different that, um, you know, it was probably a little more simplified in those days because the, you didn't have the amount of data that you do have now or the amount of video or anything like that. Um, but no, I think we, we, we learned off each other, you know, say we were, you know, whether it was St. Pete or, or uh, Watkins Glen, you know, there was, there was definitely different scenarios. But, you know, I think that the tricky part for Dan, I think at that period of time was just, 
he didn't really gel with this this style of car, um, you know. And it, 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 I know it was frustrating just for him, but for a lot of people, you know, that it was a tricky car to drive. And and I think I was fortunate where it was something that just applied to my natural, you know, driving style of being fairly aggressive, fairly noisy in the steering wheel, and creating, you know, a lot of tire temperature. Um, you know, kind of worked. Whereas, you know, in years like right around now, that that kind of hurts my style of driving, and and you know, I kind of have to try and adapt to try and help that. So, um, you know, because it was only I think what four four races or five races, maybe at the most, you know, throughout the season, maybe even less at that point. You know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a a, a big focus. Um, you know, especially when you know it's still the the biggest race for us and and you know to to this day is the indy 500 and, and that's where dan you know was, was probably you know one of the best ever at um but yeah you know i think we always learn i learned from him he learned from me uh and the team i think was was you know always working extremely hard to try and understand how they could help the both of us in, in very different ways if rl had been predominantly uh road and street cars you know say dan had been in Chowkar, he'd have been excellent at that like he just seemed to apply himself what whatever was the required uh you know constrictions of that championship like if he had been in champ guy to be nice at road and street courses maybe a bit slower up to speed and like he'd do whatever was necessary to try and win a championship and to be the best at indy i think yeah his uh you know and you see it even more you know i've been lucky enough to obviously be at the same team but you know have a and i've been been able to team up with you know some some amazing people throughout my career and you know, you definitely see, um, you know, the, the, the work ethic has probably become more normalized now as far as, you know, the, the, the amount of detail that it goes into. But, you know, especially around that era, it was kind of still a bit, oh, yeah, you know, it's it'll be fine. You know, we'll talk about some changes and then just see how, you know, there wasn't as much of a process. But, you know, definitely Dan was one of the guys that already had that process. It was kind of like, you know, Dario as well. It was, it was you know, uh, very detailed, very intense. Um and, you know, they, they thought about the process a lot, even if it was a track walk, you know, it was kind of, they would take five times longer than any other person to, to kind of go through it. You see similar similarities too, you know, with, with Jimmy Johnson, you know, just the, the attention and detail and the work effort that they put in, um, you know, I think it, it, it changed my career as well, because probably when I first came in, I, I didn't really do that. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was definitely a better way to, to understand that. And, and Dan, you know, I know it was a guy that was, you know, up all hours of the night thinking about how he could do it better and, and his intensity. Um, you know, I can see it, it, you know, it came from his family as well. You know, his, his dad was, was uh, you know, a high process guy and, and, and really, you know, even in a totally different industry, but, you know, worked extremely hard and that work ethic you know, definitely crossed over to, to Dan and, and what he applies, you know, and you see that even now in his, you know, in his, his two sons. When you were uh, teammates together, did you did you notice the whole uh, OCD, the cleanliness uh, sort of affectation that he had? What 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 was that like with all the overalls and uh, driving shoes laid out and everything like that? And don't touch it. Yeah, I actually felt sorry for him because it made it very easy to mess with him. You know, it was uh, we obviously shared a, a you know a room in, in the transporters and, and changing area, um, and you know it was very easy to kind of just mess up or you know mess his little uh, you know situation up or you know pull his suits down or you know throw your dirty laundry into his you know his uh, you know part. So it, it you know you could see that it really did stress him out. 
Um, but I think the worst part was probably, you know, going to his house because you couldn't even use the sinks. Like if you used a sink, you had to then get paper towels to wipe all the water out so it didn't leave any stains. Like I refused to stay there. I would go over there and, you know, we'd use the pool and things like that and, and hang out with the, you know, the kids and the family. Um, but, you know, just to, to eat dinner or to stay there was, was just a, pretty much a no-go, you know, just because you, you would spend the whole cleaning. So uh, in, in, the, in the long run, I actually felt really sorry for him with, uh, with that situation. Yeah, everyone always says that his house was like a show home. Like, no one could believe anyone live, actually lived there. It was crazy. It was crazy. Like everything was brand new. It was like unused, unused. You couldn't use anything. You had to go out to, to get whatever you needed to do or use a fridge or something like that. So yeah, it was, uh, it was impressive. I'd, I'd say to, to see him keep that up. You could see, you know, as, uh, when, when, you know, when they, they started to you know, have kids, you could see that start to change a little bit. So, you know, uh, obviously sad to not see the, the full, uh, you know, placement of how that was going to be later on in his life. Yeah, yeah, and obviously uh, he got together with Susie while you were you were teammates at Ganassi. Could you see that going on in the background? Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. think uh, <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know it was uh, it was a I think a, you know a fairly fun time for all of us, right? You know, in, in that period of racing and, and especially with IndyCar racing, and and I think you know how the community of of um, you know IndyCar at that time, you know. Uh, was was a little more social than than probably what it is these days, and and a little more relaxed in some ways too. Obviously, the the racing itself was was very fierce and very competitive, but there was quite a fun scene around too. So uh, you know, especially with a lot of the overseas races and, and the travelling that we did, and you know, most of the time there was a driver party of of some sort. Uh, so yeah, it, it uh, during those times you would definitely see um, you know. Uh, the, the the that's you know start or, or the spark i guess uh start early on with uh you know with with dan and susie uh, how did you feel when you learned that he was going to be leaving ganassi uh at the end of 08 did he ever come to you for like that kind of a, like almost like a older or kind of twin brother kind of like to ask your advice about anything like that um you could definitely tell it was a very complicated time um you know i think how things laid out uh for him in the end obviously there was a lot of friendships involved too right you know you know i wasn't involved in any of that stuff but um you know if you look at dario and tk and you know and and dan himself you know they're all they were all very close friends you know and and obviously sometimes business gets in in, in the way of that as well um i can't say i know you know, title wins and outs um you know of it all but um yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure there was disappointment on, on some, you know, front. Um, but as it turned out, you know, I think it was not the way that everybody thought it was going to turn out. But yeah, it was complicated. I think it was complicated with TK and Andretti and it was complicated with Dan and Ganassi and then, you know, uh, even with Dario's mix sort of coming into to it all as well. Um, but I know it was, you know, it was a trying time for Dan. You know, I think he... He came in, he felt really comfortable and, and, you know, whatever happened through that course of time, you know, I think through the, the 08 season, you know, he didn't feel as comfortable as what he did, um, you know, to, to start with. So, you know, um, I tried to, to be there for him or help him in, in any of those situations, but obviously it's, it's you know, it's tough too to, to know who you can trust fully or anything like that. But, um, you know, I think the, the move that he did and especially with the way that he was feeling, it was it was the right move for him at the right time. Do you think he suffered from being, uh, like, basically running a single car team? Or had he learned enough from you and other teammates 
that he could carry a single card to? You know, personally, I think it's all it's it's not impossible, but it's almost impossible to to compete with a single card team. You know, it's um, you know, whether it's from a development you know, uh, point of view or uh, an engineering, you know, and just sheer size of the team. You know, it's just harder to process the amount of stuff that you need to process, and especially when you're going up against teams like, you know, Ganassi or Penske or, you know, even Andretti, you know, these days, you know. So it's, it's um, you see some of those teams try to do it now even, and, and it's, it's, you know, I, I don't really see it working. Um, and, and, you know, the problem then too is that you've got really nobody to judge yourself off. You know, I know there's different things now where, you know, I think, uh, you know, Honda and GM, you know, they have data share and, you know, you can kind of slightly look at what other teams are doing, um, you know, but confidence wise, it's really hard to really know where you stand and you're going to be always then second guessing yourself. So, you know, uh, to, to do what he did and how competitive they were, obviously they were a great team and, you know, extremely competitive for, for many seasons, um, you know, but to, to do what they were trying to do against, you know, Ganassi, Penske and Andretti is, is you know, is extremely tough. And, and you could see that toll, I think, not just on the team, but also with Dan, you know, just in, in trying to try and figure that out yourself is 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 tough, really tough. Yeah. Did he ever try and talk you out for a setup? <laughs> uh i'm sure you know we we were we were good friends you know and good mates so i'm sure it, it uh at some point there was a little bit of crossover um but again you know if you tell if you tell one person what front springs you're running you know there's a, mil- a million other combinations that that you know you kind of have to go down that road to to make it work so you know uh i think it would have been tid- tidbits of you know wing angle or something like that but but um you know i think most of the time when, when you try to share information it gets you in more trouble than uh than you know what's coming how did you rate that 2011 Indy 500 win, you know, as a, as a one car team, a tiny team, as you say, up against those powerhouses? I mean, the way, you know, he chased down in those 20 laps, okay, Hildebrand did did fence it, but he kind of, he was almost pushed into it, wasn't he, by the way, Dan was closing up. How difficult was what he did that day? Uh, extremely tough, you know. Um, uh, again, you know, Indy is, is, uh, is a crazy race in its own. Uh, but the preparation that goes into it, you know, even even for these big teams, man, it's it's relentless and, and never ending. Um, you know, so to to see what they did in the preparation, but I think the group of people that they had as well was really cool. Uh, and then I think just you know, obviously the timing and who they beat when they did during the race. Um, you know, to 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 the point of you know nearly being out of IndyCar racing to you know come and win the biggest race in the world. Um, you know, there was not one person that, that wasn't happy to see that. Um, you know, for me, you know, I know I was disappointed with how our race turned out, but, you know, when I saw who won the race, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was like a win for myself, you know, and, and obviously for them starting their young family, it was, it was just that, that, that story that you couldn't write any better. And, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was tremendous to see tremendous. You were one of the first people he contacted and him and Susie ran and got those tattoos late night in, in, in Vegas. You know, your friendship was as solid as ever, uh, you know, despite not having been teammates for three years. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, at that stage, some things were even, you know, easier than, than, than when you were teammates, right? Um, you know, conversations were a little bit easier, especially when, you, you know, you're talking about racing stuff or... or, or um, you know, I, I think, you know, life in general had just changed. You know, obviously we'd kind of gone through, 
you know, our, our competitive, tough, you know, portion to, you know, becoming really good friends to, you know, not being teammates anymore, but then, you know, starting young families at similar times and getting married at similar times, you know, so um, all of us had matured a lot more than, than when we first met, um, you know, so it was kind of everybody's, you know, happy place, but, um, you know, especially that year, uh, you know, and, and I remember that, you know, that, that, uh, that night clear as day, I remember seeing my, you know, waking up to, numerous missed calls from Dan and I thought he'd maybe been arrested or something and you know I needed to go collect them before the race that day but uh, I was you know it was just him leaving voicemails about them getting tattoos and then all the pictures and, and, and things like that so yeah um it, it uh Vegas was a was a crazy kind of period I think in in general you know I don't think there was a lot of people that were excited for the race but um you know i think with with uh where everybody was staying in the format of the week and you know how long and drawn out it was you know it was actually quite a social week uh you know for the drivers and the families and and on that side of you know things was 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 really quite fun so um you know that 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 was cool and and i would definitely you know say that that uh you know was definitely a, a a very happy part of Dan's life, if not you know the happiest part of his life, you know. So it was, uh, you know, it was cool to be a part of that for sure. If we ignore what happened in the accident, do you think he had the capability of cutting through the field and winning the whatever five million bounty? Well, I'll put it this way: if anybody could do it, it would have been Dan. Um, I don't know, man. That 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 race was going to be, you know, crazy. No, no matter what, you know, even if it, even if it went the whole way. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it's yeah. I'll just leave it at that. I think if anybody was going to do it, it would have been Dan. So you know, it would have been interesting to see how that race played out. Obviously, you know, it was uh, it was it was stopped uh, short on his tracks pretty quickly. But but um, he was he was definitely the man to get that job done. What would he have spent his five million on? Uh, um, that's a very good question. Probably, <laughs> probably taking a lot of people out for dinner, and him finally actually getting the tab, probably, and and uh, paying for paying for drinks. Um, I don't know. Probably some some bad choices on road cars um, and and jewelry and watches. Um, maybe some more teeth. I don't. I don't know. He, he could have gone. <laughs> he he could have gone to town. Finally, from me, Scott, what do you think Dan's legacy has been, you know, inside the uh, the IndyCar paddock? We obviously, we had the DW12 after that and an increased push for safety. What, what, what do you think that legacy is? Uh, you know, I think his legacy is, you know, is obviously there's, there's many parts to it, right? You know, who he was as a, as a family person, which a lot of people never really got to, you know, be a part of. But, um, you know, I think, um, you know, he's a, he was a very loving person, um, great family man. Um, and then, and then, you know, I think to, to look at his racing career, you know, what he achieved in, you know, a pretty short period of time, um, you know, to, to win Indy twice, um, you know, it was a very short list. I don't even know what that is. Maybe 40 people or less 30. I don't even know. Um, I know to win it once it's, un, it's under 70, but, uh, you know, his championships, um, you know, a legend of the sport, you know, there's, there's no doubt about it, you know, and I think what could have, you know, happened, um, you know, later, I know there was big plans in the works for, for his continued racing in IndyCar, um, you know, to, to winning Daytona, you know, he, he, he did so many things, you know, but uh, for me, it was more about the person who he was, you know, maybe I didn't, I didn't gel with him at the start that, you know, to once I, once I got to know him uh, and, and really be around him, you know, his energy was, was contagious and, and, you know, he was just downright a, a great person to be around. His sons, do you think he would have approved of them racing or uh, do you think he would have said, no, I, 
it's it's crazy it's crazy to find the funding it's crazy to you know put your neck on the line do you think it would have been fully behind it or do you think it would have encouraged them to uh, take up tennis or, or some safer sport uh no he 110 percent approved you know i remember even in, you know the the early days of them that's was talking about you know how he could start getting them racing go-karts and you know all of us have that fond memory of you know that that you know father son bond um you know i was the the same going to you know racetracks you know pretty much every weekend from from you know being a, being a little kid so you know i know dan was was very much looking forward to that he would have been that you know that that horrible race dad <laughs> being way way too competitive, um, <laughs> talking a, a lot of smack and and you know but but he he would have been the perfect guy to you know take them through their career too and and you know get them into the right teams and you know Susie is doing a, an amazing job and and you know that's why she's doing it is because she knows how much you know Dan would have you know loved and and you know would have loved to have been a part of it but. You know, to to really know that that's that's what he would have wanted for for those two, and those two are, you know, they're they're two very different kids, uh, as as we 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 all see. But you know, you, you you definitely see, you know, that spark of of you know Dan in them, and and they're willing to to want to win and and you know push it push it uh, you know all the way through. So uh, I look forward to you know following their careers and seeing where they end up. But yeah, that's one hundred and ten percent all Dan would have wanted for sure. Very eloquent as ever. Thank you. Anytime, anytime. Uh, hopefully see you guys soon. Yep, hope yep. so. Okay. Good luck. Thanks, Thanks, Cheers, Cheers, guys. Cheers, yeah, mate. Have Bye-bye. fun. Have a good weekend. David, I read your uh, column in Autosport magazine this week. Very, uh, very nice recollections of, of Dan. Just talk us through a few of those highlights. What I said to Scott just now is very, very true. That I think, honestly, that Dan would have made a massive success of whatever he'd have done. I mean, not only could he charm people uh but he could also he was just so driven i don't don't think i knew anyone like that and uh yeah like was a tv so, work was amazing wasn't it yeah yeah exactly i mean he had, you know we all talk about hinchliff being you know the ideal next you know driver expert to fill uh you know to fill the car booth but i i think uh dan would have been spectacularly good but i mean his will to win is what drove him back to andretti autosport uh for 2012 um yeah that deal had been done and i think he would have i don't know how his road and street course performances might have uh, improved but we know for sure he'd have been spectacular uh, on the ovals he'd have won a bunch more races i mean he won 16 of them and two of them are Indy 500. So obviously that's already, uh, fantastic. But yeah, I'd, I'd have seen him going on for another, you know, five years earning, uh, yeah, earning like two or three more, uh, wins per year at, at that time, to be honest. Cause I think he was absolutely, he was worth having on your, even if he had been terrible at the other 15 races. He was worth having on your side just for the 500. I just think he was genuinely that good. Um, he, he had the finesse that you and Scott talked about just now. Uh, that, uh, he, he just had really, really good, uh, feel. Uh, and as, as Helio just proved this year, you know, age is no barrier. It's all about your smarts and your finesse and your smoothness around that track. That's, that's the key to victory. And again, with a small team. 
Yeah, and being at the forethought, you know, the looking ahead and seeing situations, reading traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think there's a, a reason he didn't have that many accidents, despite IRL just being, yeah, uh, uh, consisting of a lot of pack racing. I, I think he had all the peripheral vision that certain drivers who he shouldn't mention don't have, yeah. uh, and. Uh, yeah, he, he just instinctively knew when uh, a move was on and when it wasn't. Uh, so, yeah, I think he was just he was just born to it. Ironically, he was born to it more than Dario. Dario would tell me forever. Like, it took him a long time. Even after he won Rockingham 2002, that was his first oval win. It still took him an age to kind of, like, really feel comfortable uh, on the ovals, whereas Dan just took to it up to water. So. Yeah, I mean, Dan didn't have that um, in-depth career, did he? In the in the ladder in Europe, you know, I mean, obviously it stopped kind of after the that Vauxhall Junior Formula Ford level. I don't think he, he didn't yes. never even made it to Formula Renault or F3. He once told me that uh, he needed three three hundred fifty k for F3, and he was just three hundred twenty k short. Um, <laughs> 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 and I yeah. guess it's probably that lack of, you know, seat time in a more high-powered car on a road course. You know, even, you know, even though Scott did, made a similar journey to Indy Lights to to America, he'd been racing Formula Holdens, you know, hairy assed cars in uh, in Australia. And I don't think Dan had that had that grounding. As, as as remember Justin telling me, he just you have to be clumsy to drive a, uh, a Indy car on a road course because you have to just grab it by the street, uh, scruff of the neck and absolutely ring it. And Dan just didn't have that. I think Scott alluded to that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. Switching from, switching from uh, um, um, kind of like wingless cars to winged cars mm. can be just as daunting as going from carts to, you know, the previous step from carts to <laughs> cars. Um so yeah, I think there was uh, ample opportunity uh, for anyone who had uh, the balls and the finesse to make a really good career uh, on the ovals. And uh, but you know, I I look at some of his like brave maneuvers, and I think he'd have done really well in the era of like uh, you know early winged uh, indie cars like i think he, he on an oval he was happy to take a car by the scruff of the neck so the thing like when you see uh you know late 60s early 70s uh indie cars uh being drifted through turn four by you know like johnny rutherford and coming you know just a gnats away from hitting the wall um I, I think that would have appealed to dan as well i don't i you know it certainly wasn't bravery uh he was ever short of uh, and uh, yeah, no, I, I think he'd have succeeded on the ovals in any era. And I think ultimately, if his life had played out the way we hoped it would, I think he'd have been retiring with a, a tally of kind of like 25 to 30 wins. Yeah, yeah, double what he already had. Yeah, I read a really good piece from him in uh, Clyde Brolin's book in the zone where he was talking about finishing second in 2009 in the Indy 500 saying this right. guy just wasn't as quick as Helios because it was just getting looser and looser in the final stint and he was just he was holding his breath in the corners because he couldn't turn the wheel almost but he said he was never scared you know he was he, was, he felt it was like uh, being a kid you know 
creeping around the house at night trying not to know you know, so your parents don't notice you're up and about when you should be in bed and he said it was just that kind of i'm trying to turn the wheel just tiny amounts it's so loose it's going to kick out and and get me at any moment and he said that that was uh you know and it's it, to think about that and the speeds that they were going at that time i mean that's yes absolutely. That, that showed showed his sort of dedication and skill i think behind the wheel he was certainly incredibly dedicated to his art it's fair to say yes Absolutely. And I, I used to love listening to him explaining stuff. And then he'd suddenly stop and say, well, you better not put that because then every other <laughs> blank will find out what I'm doing. <laughs> and that was while he was with uh, Panther. So, like, you know, you're in a single car team. It's more you should be listening to other guys describe what they're doing in the car. I doubt, doubt they're all picking tips from you. But, you know, of course, they should have been because he was, he was that good. And, yeah, the other thing that strikes me is that Panther were very much one of those teams where it was Indy 500 right up here, and then all the other 15 races were merely kind of like getting good in time for the following May and the following May. So, like, it wasn't as if uh, Panther still had their full, like, across the championship mojo that they had in the Sam Hornish days by the time. Uh, Dan got there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, he was up against it. But then he was all about the 500 as well. Theoretically, that should have been a match made in heaven. Uh, but, yeah, for various reasons, it, it really didn't pan out a second time around. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, one of my favourite aspects of this uh, Andy Holbury, Jeff Olson book, Lionheart, is uh, reading how his rivals that weren't within this kind of like uh, clique felt about him and Sam Hornish writes a lovely chapter in there about him and like mm-hmm. you never got the impression that they were buddies but like it it really shows how they kind of like admired each other from afar uh, it's like one of my favourite chapters of that book it's, yeah. uh, I think he just was very admirable and the way he treated the fans I can't believe it's taken whatever 45 minutes for us to mention that yeah. he really was spe- I saw him grab one of his teammates who had decided to kind of like ignore the fans and just basically spin him around and say, and you know, make him uh, give autographs and say, you know, this is what it's all about. This is why we get to do what we do. Yeah. And that, so, yes, he loved to be loved, but he also realized that the people, you know, paying, paying, helping to pay his bills were the sponsors uh, with whom he was magical, of course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the uh, the fans uh, he he was genuinely adored. Yeah, he always had one of the longest lines. I think it was always either him or Danica. Whenever I was at a race, yeah. one thing that struck me about uh, Dan's career, and I'll go right back to the start of it, basically, because obviously Clive, his father, was a top uh, Carter in the back in the day. So it was obviously right. Clive pushed him quite hard but he came into this absolute golden generation of karting so he was up against a Jensen Button and Anthony Davidson you know Matt Davis who kind of dropped off the radar but was incredibly good Christian Colby beat Mark Webber in Formula Ford you know there was these this fantastic array of talent and he was basically the best you know I remember uh, John Button saying at the memorial that Dan was the driver Jensen always wanted to be and would give anything to beat him and when you think when you think what Jensen went on to achieve as well, yes, you know, exactly. Um, that that Dan was kind of you know set, set in those trends. It was, uh, it was it was remarkable. Yeah, 
and that's ignoring um, what came before with like Dario and David Cuff and all those other really, really quick guys. Not, not all of them made it, but they were, they were some sensational racing. Yeah, it's very interesting to kind of like imagine what Dan might have uh, achieved if he uh, stayed in Europe. Because, yeah, mm -hmm. as I've now banged on about twice, uh, I do believe he'd have been a success of whatever was required to be a success in whatever field he was given. You know, I think he could have made himself the best GT driver in the world. I think he could have made himself the best, you know, Le Mans prototype driver in the world. Um, and I do believe in terms of ovals, there may have been a few drivers that were as good, but there was no one better. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, it is interesting to speculate what he would have done. But then maybe he wouldn't have been down. I mean, I think he really embraced the fact that there is so much obligation on drivers in this country to, uh, you know, 70% of your work is racing, but then a good 30% of it is going out and promoting the sport, your sponsors, you know, your teams, and remembering also who helped get you there, you know. And I think Dan, Dan was just a, a sponsor's dream. I mean, there's a reason the National Guard really didn't care that he was, uh, you know, they were sponsoring a, an Englishman rather than a, a, an American in that car because he was just, he was just so eminently promotable and you, you'd love to have him on your side. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going out to see him in uh, St. Pete in, I think, 2007 when he was at Cassie and it was a Sky Sports trip and uh, Brian Viner, who's a really good journalist, you know, I think he's chief, uh, chief sports writer at the Mail or something now. And as you think he was then as well. And uh, yeah, he was blown away by Dan, you know, and he, he'd interviewed a lot more, uh, a lot more people, you know, in, in the sports world and, you know, outside the sports world too the, than I had. And he said, wow, that guy's really impressive. You know, you can tell a, you know, a good yarn and he sort of, and he almost felt like he was interviewing me at one point because it was almost like he just wanted to find out what do you want to know from me? And then I'll tell you <laughs> and obviously yes. embellish it because that's Dan. Yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, I think he, uh, he, he, he was probably a lot smarter than we, uh, than we, than we gave him credit for. I remember, um, very early on, I think when he was doing Vauxhall junior, there was this kind of formula Ford tryout day and Jensen was there, Marino, Weldon, they all got invited. And the whole idea was it's just a day to get used to the car and you know, get used to the slick tires they were using then, you know, don't worry about the times. Straight away, um, Dan went to Matt James. Matt, find, find out the times for me in the day, won't you? And Matt's like, I've been told not to tell you. Oh, I'll buy, buy you some cigarettes. All right, then. <laughs> so, so Matt, it does like, as much about Matt as it does about Dan. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, so Dan was the only one who found out what the times actually were at the end of the day. And apparently he'd been, uh, he'd been testing at Jim Russell for two weeks as well before it, <laughs> just to make sure he had the edge. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the kind of shit that, you know, Martin Brundle uh, found that Ayrton pulled on him as well when they yeah. all tested the, the Williams. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Prost did the same with the Marlborough guys he was up against uh, when they were testing McLaren. Uh, Back in that, yeah, Kevin Cogan and Stephen South, yeah, they are, they were outwitted as well as outdriven. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, that's that's just smart. I mean, if if you're kind of like twenty or thirty year career hangs in the balance, you're gonna pull whatever strings it takes. But 
Yeah, I think I, I really would have loved to have seen the guy he became mm, uh, yeah. after his after his what well, I would say is his natural career. You know, I think he'd have. I wonder if he'd have kept up the same intensity because, like you're saying, that journalist uh, felt like. Like he'd just be staring so intently at you. Try it was almost like he was trying to guess what you were going to ask him next, and uh, it was uh, fierce. And I imagine if he had become a commentator, him interviewing someone after a race who was just you know knackered and spent after you know blowing the other twenty six cars away, to suddenly be confronted by Dan with a microphone would have been quite a ferocious uh, experience. Yeah, but I think he'd have been. I think he'd been good, and I think he was also he was also very good in the commentaries in that he could find a way to criticise a driver, but but without being kind of rude and openly critical. And mm. um, I really, I really admire that about anyone that can talk. Because very clearly, I can't. I'm speaking, <laughs> speaking yeah. like a robot. I don't, uh, think he, I don't think you would have pulled any punches in, in an interview scenario, but I, I agree with you in the in the in the commentary role. He would have been really great at you know not not treading on anyone's toes too much. Yeah, and he'd have absolutely lapped up the attention. You know, like he, I I believe he should have earned BBC Sports Personality of the Year uh, one year. Uh, yeah. It's just that yeah. BBC obviously didn't care about IndyCar, but. Yeah. Further down the road, I can also one day imagining him presenting, because yeah. he just that kind of he'd have been a great TV presenter as well as a common color commentator. He just he just took it all in his stride. He was just so damn cool. Yeah, so, yeah, no, he was yeah. certainly a cool dude. So <laughs> just the right amount of flash. Yes, well. It's uh, and it's just great to you know remember him and have so many uh, positive thoughts about you know he was a uh, was a brilliant character, very fun guy to be around. I definitely wish I'd been on a uh, a few more nights out with him for a for a little guy. He had quite a big quite a big fuel tank by all accounts, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it was absolutely the you know the life life and soul of the party when when it was uh, when it was called upon. So uh, yeah, absolutely. No, no, he was very. I, I guess the word charisma is about right for him. He's just, and you know, you think of all the old old guy days that they have at Indy. He'd have been fantastic at that as well. You know, like you see, you know, our late friend Robert Miller hosting stuff between Parnelli Jones, Rick Mears, and Dario Franchitti. Three careers that didn't overlap at all. They were all separated by like ten years each. Yeah, having Dan as one of those uh, people uh, up there would have uh, just been magical. I think he'd have been a great, carried on being a great spokesman uh, for IndyCar going forward. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah such a shame he won't be, uh, he's not around to be doing that. Absolutely. And- Anyway, David, th- thanks so much for your time. Also, thanks to Scott Dixon for joining us for our, uh, yes. for our for our rambles and remembering a really a really great bloke, Dan Weldon, and a fantastic race driver. And uh, we shall not forget him. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This is Shaquille O'Neal. Do you ever scream at your printer, call it naughty names, or hurl empty ink cartridges across the room? You likely suffer from cartridge conniptions caused by ink cartridges constantly running out of ink. Thankfully, the Epson EcoTank printer is the perfect cure. It's cartridge-free, conniption-free, prescription-free, with big ink tanks and a ridiculous amount of ink. So you can finally kiss expensive cartridges goodbye. The Epson EcoTank. Just fill and chill. Available at Epson.com. Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.